Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. This podcast may contain explicit language, and feel free to use explicit language when you review the gist on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. It's Friday, May 31st, 2019. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Certain Trump administration officials have gotten the axe. Zinke, Price, every communications director, pre- and post-Scaramucci, to say nothing of the actual Scaramucci. Getting the axe. That's one thing. In North Korea, they don't get the axe. Here's what they get. North Korea has executed its special envoy to the United States, the New York Times reported, crediting a major South Korean daily. Kim Jong-un was apparently miffed that his hastily called meeting without an agenda that every Western nuclear expert said was never going to go well, barring Kim's total denuclearization, didn't go well because Kim didn't totally denuclearize. And I guess someone has to pay. Lord knows in the U.S., no one pays if Donald Trump's self-defeating mercurial choices blow up in his face. I guess we've now outsourced that to Asia as Kim executed a high-ranking official who seems to have done nothing wrong. Well, except for listening to Kim and following his dictates and being a highly-ranked North Korean official. So he was killed. CBS headline. Has Kim Jong-un executed top envoys over his failed summit with Trump? Maybe, maybe not. That's a headline? That construction could literally apply to anything in life. Did the eight middle schoolers who won the spelling bee go on a multi-state crime spree right afterward? Maybe, maybe not. And based on that peg, the lead writes itself. How do you spell habeas corpus? That's what authorities are asking themselves after Rashik Gandhasri, Sohamsu Katantar, and Abhijay Kodali, along with a quintet of their lexicographically unlawful friends, ran amok in the mid-Atlantic in pre-dawn hours. No, no. The kids didn't do that. The North Korean killings, well, maybe they weren't killings. They were caveated by CBS News in this manner. Uh, I know we don't have a whole lot of information, and what information comes out of that country is not always trustworthy. In fact, none of it is trustworthy. But still, they brought on their State Department reporter, Christina Ruffini. It's certainly not great if he's killing people. I think that goes without saying. Um, And that usually doesn't foment a positive working environment. I don't know. It seems like nothing a 10% 401k match can't overcome. A couple of comp days make up for the airport execution. He was supposedly executed in the Pyongyang airport, by the way. And I do have to say, if the Pyongyang airport is anything like LaGuardia, execution might be welcome. I mean, a pack of gum ain't $4 in the afterlife. Kim Jong-un does occasionally kill underlings, it is true, but it is also true that Kim's unconventional HR tactics are widely exaggerated. Something to keep in mind given that this report is attributed to a lone anonymous South Korean source. Now, I've always thought that the tactic of the evildoer in a movie assassinating the underperforming henchman, that really couldn't possibly work 
in the real world. There's too much turnover in life. Sure, if you're trapped on the Death Star, it's hard to get in there and change your LinkedIn status if your boss is really good at the Force. So that guy's probably got to go. No good options there. Lord Vader, the fleet has moved out to light speed and we're preparing to... You have failed me for the last time, Admiral. But in so many films, we see this, where the hired goon who could just up and walk away, or more importantly, the guys under him who now assume his role could definitely say, oh my God, there are plenty of megalomaniacal wannabe supervillains out there. I do not need the job this bad. I guess maybe it could work in a place like North Korea or maybe a place that was portrayed in Mortal Kombat Annihilation because there the title gives some big clues as to the consequences of failure. This will never happen again. It will never happen again. It is true, this will never happen again. It is also true, I need a new general. Kim needs a new general, and a new envoy, and a new translator, and a new member of his senior staff. And you know what? I think it will happen again, if in fact it did actually happen this time. On the show today, it is an Antan twig, And this time around, some of my errors were quite pronounced. But first, you say impeachment, I say conviction. You are insistent, I say it's a dereliction. And while I could give you the impeachment debate in musical form, what I'm going to do instead is to give it to you in actual debate form with me and my admittedly frustrating Pelosi-esque tactic of forbearance versus Slate's Ben Mathis Lilly, who brings passion, history, and a world of possibilities. And as you listen, just know this, we shall be joined by a deus ex machina type individual with information on how organizations make great decisions to impeach or to keep investigating up next. to tell you about one of the most attractive automobiles you're ever going to lay your eyes on and it's not just how good it looks it's everything that can do for those who embrace the impossible the defender 110 is up for the adventure this iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design the exterior which won me over is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing the interior is built with integrity using the most robust of materials The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. The Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Cargo capacity means you got room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to do what you do via your intellect, via your passions in life. It is to explore with greater confidence. Ready for a wide range of adventures? The Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, the Defender 130 that seats up to eight. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Impeachment. Perhaps you've heard people talking about it like everyone ever and me on this show all the time. But also here at Slate in our Slack channel, which actually winds up being on Slate.com, Genius writers like Ben Mathis Lilly 
beseech us to impeach him. I wanted to have Ben on the show to talk about, and even, I will say it, debate the merits of impeachment. I will lay out my position. Ben will lay out his, and then I will challenge Ben, and perhaps he will challenge me. Ben Mathis Lilly, welcome. You've been on before, but I think never in a debate format. Is that true? Never in a rumble. Yes. (laughs) So, why don't I just give you the floor, and then I'll lay out what I think is the most important parameter, but opening statement. Go ahead. Sure. So there's a number of arguments for for impeachment. You know, it has immediate benefits. It yeah. provides an immediate disincentive to anyone considering uh, perpetrating further crimes in the Trump administration. Uh, the, that it'll fire up the base. Uh, that it's the right thing to do. Uh, so I was kind of I was kind of going through making some notes, and I and I and I just was. It was staggering even to me as if someone who writes about this subject, uh, the subject of Donald Trump, nearly every day. Simply, how many items I had to put on the list of quality, legitimate, credible reasons for impeachment. Okay. So what you're going to do is lay out the case for impeachment as resting in the fact that he's very, very impeachable, that he has quite clearly committed impeachable acts. I think Many, a variety. Exactly. I think that has to be the foundation. Let me tell you this. I totally concede your point. <laughs> I think he's... But what is the tangible, measurable goal of impeachment? So... You can't say fire up the base, but you can say, oh, an increase in X percent in Democratic turnout. That would be enough. So what is the tangible, measurable goal of impeachment? I think about it in the near term. I think the most tangible goal of impeachment is to get the Trump administration to stop doing things that are illegal as quickly as possible. The next time something like this happens, if there's no consequence uh, in the White House for unethical behavior, why would the person who replaced him— uh, do the same thing if it's clear that nothing's going to happen. Well, consequences is vague. Do you think impeachment without conviction, is that a consequence? Is that a meaningful consequence that would affect them in any way? Yes. I was. So this is what I, I, I think about. It's just in terms of someone's calculations. What are their incentives? They don't want to have to spend a lot of money on lawyers. They don't want to have to be grilled on national television by the Judiciary Committee. And I think that there is a short of conviction, there is still a significant disincentive to not just any individual, but for the to the administration as a whole, disincentive against unethical criminal behavior. Okay. I have a different uh, measurable, tangible goal, and mine is this. I've said it on the show. January 20th, 2021, right after noon, the man with his hand on the Bible or woman should not be Donald Trump. That is it. That is my bottom line. What are the courses of action to be taken to best ensure by legitimate means that that person is not Donald Trump? And I wouldn't say this if there weren't impeachable offenses, right? I would say, oh, just impeach him on, on fake charges. I think the Democrats have to embark on a course of action that will best ensure that that person is not Donald Trump. Sure. And that is my absolute bottom line. And, and I, attempting to, to check my own biases on, these, on this subject, uh, looked up what 538 has said about the polling. The best and most obvious argument against impeaching is that the public is not, does not support it currently. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so if you do something that the public doesn't support, you will be punished for, for doing so. Right. 
Solid, solid line of reasoning, in my it's opinion. It's kind of my only line of reasoning. <laughs> like, I almost wish it wasn't, but it's so, uh, what's the word for it? It's so dominant. It so predominates my thinking on this, and I think it's so irrefutable, maybe you can refute it, that I don't know where else to go. Well, what 538's Perry Bacon concluded was that, in his opinion, as an objective reader of the polls, not as, a, not as someone rooting for one outcome or the other, is that he finds it very unlikely that impeachment would change public opinion about Trump one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He finds that almost nothing can change the fact that roughly 40% of people support Trump and roughly 60% of people don't think Trump should be president. Right. And so he finds it unlikely, even if impeachment is not popular, doesn't have a majority uh, of public opinion at the moment, that there could be anything that could happen that would, in 2020, leading up to 1-2021, would convince the important swing voters that they, in fact, do want to vote for Donald Trump. He finds that very unlikely. Okay, so what you're emphasizing there is that you don't think a failed impeachment or an impeachment without a conviction would help Donald Trump. Right. And you're also saying you don't think it will hurt Donald Trump. Why would it be a consequence then? Why Impeachment without conviction that that doesn't change public opinions at all. Well, there's a difference between a consequence for Donald Trump electorally and a consequence for Donald Trump in terms of his his near-term strategy. Right, but if it doesn't have a consequence electorally, is it really a consequence? Won't it further embolden him? Uh, The guy gets reelected after going through and winning impeachment. Oh, my God, that's a runaway freight train. He's already opening an investigation into whether, in his words, James Comey committed treason against him. I mean, he's gotten an attorney general who's who's literally— You're saying it can't can't get any worse as far as uh, Trump's actions. It can always get worse, but I don't—he's gone so far to—I mean, I think that we probably both agree that James Comey did not commit treason. He's, in fact, not treasonous and definitely should not—even if treasonous, should not be executed. Should not be executed. Maybe, maybe you know, years in a supermax, sure. (laughs) I, I guess I'd say it's an, it's an asymptote, right? Is mm-hmm. that the term? that he, We've gotten so close to that line that pushing him a little closer to that line in theory is not worth the cost, the, the opportunity cost of not possibly actually punishing him. I mean, that that's the other, you know, yeah, the, uh, the other big thing to consider is sometimes things do move public opinion and, and Trump is unpopular and most people don't think he's fit to be president. And so it is possible that... As, as some liberal commentators have, have pointed out, running a six-month television show where you carefully lay out each of the things that he has done uh, might actually have some, some positive. I watch a lot of <laughs> CNN and MSNBC. Haven't we had a two-year television show doing just that? Yeah, uh, but I think that there's a, a solid case to be made that the word impeachment and the like the kind of single focus of an impeachment of an impeachment proceeding could focus the attention of the casual the, the medium information news viewer in a way that that that, that some the, those people are not necessarily seeking out NBC MSNBC but the word impeachment is is one that that people recognize right. and, and it has has a brand okay so let yeah. me be let's be clear and I want to be structured about this so okay. so far what we've been discussing is Trump beating impeachment. My thesis is that will embolden Trump and is more dangerous for America. Your thesis is essentially Trump can be no more emboldened, so don't worry about that. <laughs> or that he, if he can, he's gotten about as close as possible to the, the peak emboldenment already. So we have uh, laid out what happens if Trump beats impeachment. I do sense, and I think you have explicitly said, that much of your argument rests on the case that if impeachment is brought, it's not necessarily true that Trump will beat it. Uh, so m- make that case. Tell me why you think there could be a conviction in the Senate. Well, for for one, as as, as a lot of people have been saying this week, we don't know what's going to happen in politics. I, I, the idea that you can project 
where American politics is going to be in 18 months is was uh, rendered absurd by uh, the last election. I mean, no one in June 2015 had even very few people had even a, a wild guess about what was going to be happening 18 months Wait, thereafter. Wait, you don't know. I would say that it is true that you don't know what the effects of an election will be. But I, I think it's true that you do know in general what will happen in politics, which is that the Republican Party in the Senate will act exactly how the Republican Party in the Senate has always acted. Okay, sure. Uh, that they will defend Donald Trump and they will defend the prerogative of a Republican no matter what. If they have so far, yeah. The I, only thing that they would change, to me, the only reason that they would change is some huge pieces of information come out that right. haven't been unearthed. Right. And so my question to you is, I've read Yoni Applebaum's story and others who say that there'll be extra potency with an impeachment hearing as opposed to the hearings that are going on, that Don, that Don McGahn is refusing to or being made to refuse to testify for. Is that the case? Do you think impeachment gives them extra potency? Well, for one, legally, it has a much firmer footing. I, I, you probably but they've been with this But they've been winning all of their cases thus far. It seems like the investigations that they're doing are working. Sort of. I mean, they're winning lower court rulings, and then those court rulings are getting appealed, and so nothing's happening, and they have, and they have 15 different cases going on. So, for example, they haven't even filed a case against Don McGahn for, for refusing to testify. Uh, whereas, according to uh, people who know what they're talking about, <laughs> he would have almost no grounds whatsoever for refusing to testify in, a, in an impeachment hearing. Right. So, yes, I, you could expedite, consolidate all, all of your investigations. And, and if there is a smoking gun, I think it's much likely that that's going to be discovered sooner under an impeachment hearing. Okay. My general rule when it comes to the Democrats is that when you look at when they've, they've, they've forced an issue— yeah. They've been successful, and when they've waited for the voters, kind of waited ambiently for voters to punish the Republican Party to come to their senses, they haven't been successful. I think the, that having a strong spine on the border wall issue was, was a place where you could have easily seen the Democrats fold, compromise, and they didn't, and it, yeah. was, and it worked. I didn't see the dynamics of the Republicans being able to kill that. You know, they didn't take that position knowing that it was going nowhere. And it was also a popular position with the public. Mm -hmm. I don't see, you got to give me examples where they've taken positions that aren't that popular with the public, but it is in their heart of hearts what they wanted, and it's worked out. The Republicans did that with Merrick Garland, but I don't see the Democrats of having done that. Because they don't do it. Sure, that's, the, that's kind of my point. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very rare for the Democrats to take a but position. But if they don't do it, it does... <laughs> negate your point that when they do it, it works. But they, they also they also lose most elections. I mean, no, they, they don't. The, yes, the Democratic Party has has lost 10 of the last 13 House elections, or they have not formed a majority in 10 right. of the last 13 right. House elections. I mean, you know, that's because of they, gerrymandering and a lot of other factors. When we're talking about working against public opinion here, we're working against a very narrow particular question, which is, should they start impeachment proceedings right now? Not... Do you want to see Donald Trump be the president or is he fit for office? Is he not a criminal? On those questions, people agree with the Democrats. So it's not like they're swimming against this overwhelming tide of public opinion. And once the process gets started, the common sense would indicate they, very, they have a very receptive audience. 
Good. I'm glad you said that because joining us now, as you know, because he's right here, is now the smartest man in the room. I'm going to be interviewing David next week about his book, Range, Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. But there was a part of it that struck me as applicable to this debate. And it's about inside thinking and outside thinking. David, thank you for coming on and joining us. My pleasure. And I insist I'm not the smartest person in the room. I just take longer to do my projects. (laughs) No, seriously. So, David, I was thinking about inside thinking and outside thinking. And the reason I think it applies is, well, first of all, give me the concept and then uh, I'll ask you, I'll, I'll say why I think it applies to this situation. You can tell me if you think that's right. Okay. The, the inside view is basically uh, is our intuition when we're evaluating a scenario is to focus on all the internal details of that scenario uh, because that seems like it makes a lot of sense, whether you're trying to predict an investment or to predict some political event. Um, but it actually turns out to be a pretty inaccurate way to go. So if you, it turns out that if people investigate more of the specific details of a certain scenario, they will consider that scenario more likely to occur mm-hmm. in, in some ways such that when people do that with different scenarios, they can sometimes in studies add up to more than 100% in their predictions of what will happen because as they evaluate different scenarios based on more internal details, they'll say each one is more and more likely. And what's more accurate in forecasting, and this doesn't mean that that sometimes that doesn't work, right? This is all probability stuff. What's more accurate is do what's called take the outside view, which involves something called reference class forecasting, where instead of focusing on the internal details, you you zoom out and look at broadly conceptual things that have happened in other domains and across history, and that gives you a sense of what normally happens. And it basically implicitly forces you to kind of think like a statistician, basically. Right. So this is, I mean... Half of that seems really, really applicable, right? That we're looking at the specific details. So we're definitely involved in inside thinking with with impeachment and conviction, right? right? Yeah. Now, I don't know what a fair reference class would be. People's minds immediately go to the other two and a half impeachments. But I say if you go to just Democrats have an agenda where Republicans are opposed to that agenda before debate starts, the reference class would indicate the outcome will be the Republicans will win or the Republicans with a majority in the Senate will win and the Democrats will lose. I mean, I think that's a fair that, reference That's actually class. the way, and, and this, doesn't, this doesn't mean it's wrong. This is just a general principles, but that is the way you're supposed to go about it, where like one of the prediction questions in some of the studies I looked at was about what would happen with Greece and the Eurozone. And, you know, nobody had ever left the Eurozone, but the, the people who ended up being the best forecasters about what would happen said, okay, but let's look at other uh, instances of countries getting out of agreements or forced currency exchanges and these things. And the people who kind of did that, yeah. as opposed to focusing on like, what exactly is going on in Greece and, and Europe were the ones who were much more accurate about all those developments. And, and again, that's over a large number of predictions about a scenario, not, not necessarily just a single thing that we're talking about so here. Let's so let's look at other instances where Democrats have hoped for a large populist uprising so that people see the, the good over the bad. Well, Obamacare I, it was very unpopular, and now it's popular. It was unpopular after it was passed, if I'm not mistaken. It was unpopular, especially when it started being implemented and there were problems with it. And now it is... Uh, considered by a majority of people to be a, a good system that we should keep. So I think I've, it's increased a little in popularity, but actually it was more popular than not when it passed. But it's an t- entirely different scenario trying to get two-thirds of the vote of a Republican-controlled Senate. I mean, don't you think the inside-outside view, to the extent that it maps onto this situation, is an argument against, either against impeachment or an argument against the idea that you'll get impeachment and then conviction? I mean, I think that you're you're smart to frame the the discussion <laughs> around conviction because I acknowledge that conviction is unlikely. I, I just am I'm I am suggesting that there are serious uh, other potential benefits. Okay. Now, 
I'll blow the whistle on myself. I pulled in the expert, but therefore to maybe even things up, I'll give you the last word. Give us, is it more of a logical or an emotional call to arms for impeachment? I think it's it's an emotional call to arms. As I was just discussing with someone, if any other leader of any other institution in the United States had to put together the extensive resume of criminal or borderline criminal or allegedly criminal behavior that Donald Trump has, the decision would not even be a decision. I have a counterpoint. Donald Trump is a private citizen. (laughs) (laughs) And if you didn't say criminal but unethical, I would have countered with Roger Goodell. (laughs) All right. Ben Mathis Lilly writes the Slatist column for, guess what, Slate. It's been a worthy adversary. I, I'm, I was 52, 48 going in, and now I'm 51 and a half, you know, 48 and a half. Ben. It's, a, it's like I said, it can, uh, you can just chip it off a little at the time. Thanks, man. All right. taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com and now the spiel It is an antantwig, our name for a three-week period, from the Old English for 21, an antantwig. Now, I have to tell you that the tentwig, that is spelled T-P-E-N-T-I-G. Now, I knew that the P is borrowed from the rune, win. It's not really a P, it's like a a flag, stick with a triangle. And it is pronounced like a W. It was originally spelled well, after it was a rune, it was spelled with two U's, and then it became a W, so it's always been pronounced W. So I knew it was Twentig. Oh, by the way, I'm the one who invented Antantwig as Old English for 21. It comes close. But the reason I say Tentwig is the G at the end I thought was a G. But I've done some subsequent investigation. And you could argue that it's a relative of something called the Yo, which is pronounced O, or just an aspirated H. So... Antan twig maybe is closer to an two. There's also a voiced velar fricative involved. I won't bore you with it. Except to say this. I am not great at pronunciation. Oh, no, I am not. When I was at NPR, I had a couple of pieces spiked, or they called me up at like four in the morning to come in and retrack, because instead of saying John Calipari, I said John Calipari or something or the other way around. I don't even know. Either one should be fine. I have not improved. I have not improved as a pronouncer of names and of words. But what has happened is I seem to have gotten better relative to my reference class. To wit, on the show the other day, I said Saugerties, town in upstate New York. It's actually Saugerties. Bad pronunciation. Ditto Beto, who I should have called Beto. My Bade. 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 Not good. But I was listening to Bill Simmons. I rarely miss his podcast. It is an excellent podcast. But just today, Simmons said this. In the, in the subsequent weeks. And then, same show, he said this. I feel like something seismic has happened. I guess you could detect that with a seismograph. Look, Bill Simmons, I have to say, would not say that 
basketball was invented in Springfield, Illinois. I said that. I, I guess I mispronounced Massachusetts. It is weird. I 100% know that basketball was invented in Springfield, Massachusetts. I've been to the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, Massachusetts. In my book, there are many references to Springfield, Massachusetts. Just this odd mental glitch. See how I've given myself every possibility of explanation? But with Bill Simmons, I go right to the mistake. Because Hulu is like an amalgam of five different whatevers. Mispronunciations often come from the smartest, most learned people. Or at least those are the people that I think that it's notable when they come from them. And it comes from them often. I believe the relationship, their relationship to words is often from the page. So when you say it out loud and get it wrong, it's understandable. It doesn't make you unsmart. For instance, the guy who said this, all of this whole pattern of tradition, wrote a book called Word Freak. The woman who said this, it's a Canadian reason. If you drink and then go out into the cold, all of your blood is going to be in your capillaries. <laughs> you will freeze to death. Is Margaret Atwood, learned, sagacious Margaret Atwood. I looked it up. Do Canadians say capillaries that way? They do not. Well, since Margaret Atwood is Canadian, they do. I mean, in her case, I guess they do. Another Canadian, Jesse Brown, was on the What Next podcast. He said this. The Indian Act, which is a risable piece of legislation. I always say risable. It is advisable not to say risable. But it's up to you. Perhaps my public shaming will be the prompt, the change, the incentive, the stimulus to change, the, if you will, impede us for that a little bit. From Entertainment Weekly's Game of Thrones podcast. That was the pronunciation equivalent of a Starbucks cup in Winterfell. Sometimes I think we, we who speak into microphones, meaning me and the guys from the National Review Editor's Roundtable podcast, are just running around like a couple of the Kingstone cops. Hey, you know what? Let he who is out elocutionary sin cast the first Kingstone. You know what I'm saying? I feel like I'm maybe being a little petty over this. It's really no big deal. I mean, there there is a word for what I'm turning this into. And, and there's a term for this, uh, catastrophizing language. Well, there is a word for that, but none of these, mine or theirs, are quite that word. And that's it for today's show. The gist was produced by Pierre Bienname and Daniel Schrader, not Pierre Benamy or Daniel Schroeder. Has TJ Raphael, senior producer of Slate Podcast, found her lost keys by slicing open a Hawaiian wild boar? Maybe, maybe not. The gist. None of this excuses the president saying scourge instead of scourge, which I think literally is the least of his sins. And we are all born in original sin. Orange? Orange? Take a look at the oranges. The oranges of the uh, uh, investigation. The beginnings of that investigation. You're not helping. Oomperu depru dupru, and thanks for listening. Lord Vader, you have found me for the... <laughs>